0: Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, already here, already here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution: The Future of Now. now where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I
1: have to remember which direction the future is. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Technology Revolution the Future of Now. We are live, I think we're streaming on, it looks like we made it onto LinkedIn today. I know we're on Facebook, so hello to our viewing audiences and to our listening audiences on VoiceThread. America Business Channel. Hey, we're just coming out of the pandemic, and so many of our listeners around the world have been doing something unusual at home, learning, trying to keep your kids in school, learning to become teachers. What is happening with education? Some schools are opening. Some are not. What's going to happen with our kids? What's going to happen with adult learners? We talk about jobs changing. We talk about people needing to upskill, reskill. Maybe you want to work remotely from home and your job won't allow it. What are you going to do? You need to be educated. So our topic today is a combination of technology and education, and I'm calling the show The Future of Learning Tech Enhanced Education. I have a wonderful panel, but before I have them, and they're nodding already, yes, we're that's why we're here, ladies, all ladies, all extremely smart, I've been warned, so we're going to learn a lot, but let me do my normal buzz quote and then give you a little bit of a heads up here. So the buzz, I have a quote from a lady named Terry Heick, H-E-I-C-K, in Teach, thought.com. And in 2013, now let's do the math. It's 2021. That was eight years ago, almost a decade. Who's counting? She wrote, while learning by no means requires technology, to design learning without technology is an exercise in spite proving a point at the cost of potential. And it's difficult to forget how new this is. 15 years ago, now remember she was writing in 2013, so she's talking 1998. 15 years ago, a current high school sophomore was born, so was Google. She's talking back before the turn of, yes, you know that. So she predicted that by 2024, listen up, learning simulations will begin to replace teachers in some e-learning-based environments. Okay, maybe that's good, maybe that's not. She predicted truly mobile learning will support not just moving moving from one side of the classroom to the other, but a learning studio to a community physically or through what she called a Skype-like technology. Here we are on Zoom. Yes, yes, yes. She predicted personalized learning algorithms will be the de facto standard in schools that continue with traditional academic approaches to education. Can you imagine if every kid had a personalized learning algorithm? How wonderful the world could be? Our kids learning at their own pace? How they listen, how they feel, how they think, how they accept information. And she predicted also that the transition from e-learning to face-to-face learning will be more elegant and people will get out of communities where they didn't have those opportunities. Oh, my. We have Dr. Sharon Jones, who is also a host here on Voice America Radio, always happy to have her, Sharon. This is your second time on TechRev. Welcome. She's at Dot Consulting. We'll talk to her about a little about her company. She has invited Anjali Dingay at Code Ninjas in Charlotte. I'm in Durham, Anjali, so I'm waving out the window at you. The red curly hair—that's me. With the blonde—that's me. Renee Hazar is with us at Reed. Period. Right. Period. Think period with Renee. Hello, Renee. Nice to have you. And I—I I want your glasses, but I want them in red. I—I I, when it's safe, I'm going back and getting big red glasses. And we have Asia Stevenson with us. She's a teacher in the Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools in North Carolina. We're going to ask them for their take, their expertise, their insights, their passion on the future of learning, tech-enhanced education. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, even after that long introduction. So let's go around the table now. Ladies, I'm going to put you each on speaker view when I ask you to introduce yourselves. Dr. Sharon Jones, you're the force behind this wonderful panel. I can't wait to Meet them, but let's introduce you, reintroduce you. I'm just going to say, Sharon, I'm guessing since you have your own show and you've been on my show already, I'm guessing there might be 7.2 people around the world who don't remember who you are. And maybe <laughs> 2.3 people who don't know who you are. Sure. So talk, that comes up to almost 10 whole human beings. Right. Talk to those 10 people, Sharon. I'm putting you on speaker view. Welcome, Sharon Jones.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Bonnie, and for having me back a second time. I'm honored to be here and to Thank share you. with the world uh, three of my most amazing colleagues and individuals that will talk more about how we see tech education moving forward. Um, I am have been a computer science educator for the past 20 years. I have my own show here on the Voice in America Network called coding the future where we talk about how we're going to code our way into the future by using our tech skills, finding your own tech savvy. And I work with K-12 schools to help them integrate computer science and STEM into their curriculums, which is how I met one of our amazing guests, Asia Stevenson, because she was one of the first teachers who saw the vision of how integrating technology using the concepts would elevate her English class. But my core work is to help school see how computer science, the discipline, can be integrated into all our areas of expertise and how preparing our students to really be able to walk into the future with understanding how technology is going to be such a part of it is so important. So I am excited to be here again. Thank
1: you very much, Sharon. I appreciate that. And I have to tell you that my education in tech was my graduate school. I already had a degree in psychology. I couldn't do anything with it. Young divorcee, two kids living three thousand miles from my family, said to my husband, "This ain't working, kid. Go somewhere, <laughs> leave, leave us." And and he left. And then I had to do something. And I found a community college. I didn't have a car, a but two buses away from my house, and a block bus stop, a block away from where I took my kids to ba- to the babysitter. And I got two degrees in computer science. And that was my Love graduate it. school at a community college. And I have to tell you that most of the kids in my classes, like me, were in late 20s, early 30s. They were dropouts mm-hmm. from law school, dropouts from mid school. They were dropouts from architecture, or they had their degrees and they didn't want to do those professions. And yeah. we were there gobbling up technology. We we just, it just consumed the idea of coding. Sharon, I know you can appreciate that, but we weren't little kids. We were adults. Some of us had kids. We had families. Some of them were married. And it we just embraced tech and the concept of tech education so it's very this topic is very personal to me let's move on before i get all emotional here Mm -hmm. anjali DeGay, so happy to meet you you are an invitee of sharon jones we're loving having you here why don't you talk to our audience and tell them who you are what do you do and what's your passion for this topic sure thing thank you so much
2: for having me on bonnie i really appreciate it and sharon you know i love you um so, my background is actually kind of weird because I'm not a technologist by pure, you know, an individual who went to school. This is what I do. This is what I, you know, grew up on. Um, I actually was a political science major, um, but moved very quickly from uh, NC State, go Wolfpack, um, to DC, um, where I actually started um, down a career path of much more operations. So, um, looking at a a broadcasting company, a television station, radio station, worked as a recruiter for a little while, worked for a technology company, worked for a marketing company, but every single thing that each one of these particular roles allowed for me to do is to really be able to understand how technology was integrated. Um, So starting out with my first job, I spent probably, I'd say about 75% of my job underneath my desk opening up my gateway computer and trying to figure out with customer support what I needed to do in order to fix the computer. Um, You know, going from dial-up, of course, we, well, some of us remember (laughs) dial-up. I remember. We're all there. (laughs) Yes, we're there. Maybe not Asia, but the rest of us. Yes, Yes. exactly. I mean, Y2K, come on, people, Y2K, like, was a real thing um, in the last century. And then, you know, and then moving on from there. But What I do right now is actually I work with a franchise. um, And what we do is we actually teach kids how to code. Um, So we teach three primary learning uh, languages, JavaScript, Lua, and C-sharp. But the way that we do it is everything, Bonnie, that you had said before. Our kids are basically self-pacing through the curriculum, um, working not by themselves, but based on their level of competency. Because I've got kids that are ages nine, and 15 in a room at the same mm. time learning the same stuff learning the same curriculum but they're self-pacing. And it's amazing to see a 9-year-old actually typing out javascript right now. It's insane. Um so it's pretty amazing that's what I do. I love it. It's a lot of fun to come into work every day and to actually be able to encourage kids based on their passions and really cheerlead them along because they are the ones who want to be there. And so they're the ones that are driving force that are telling their parents that they want to learn how to code. I don't know how a nine or a 10 year old figures this out on their own, but they do. So it's kind of really cool to be able to
1: encourage that. Love the passion, the idea of self-paced. Wow, we were we were just we were writing our own compilers. Uh, Sharon, at least Sharon on this group knows what that is. We were writing fictitious compiler language, and and I will tell you, my languages, my chief languages were COBOL, and I still have my silver COBOL handbook, which I was called upon <laughs> to use in a job years later, and I did. I turned into a contract programmer for a big bank in New York, and I coded in PL/1, but I was on a Xerox Sigma Six CP5, Anjali, and that was before. Honeywell bought Xerox before it became Honeyox, and and we used key punch cards, eighty column cards, and it was a riot. I don't have any decks, but I have the printout green bar paper. I still have the uh, sheets, reams of it. And then I moved to an IBM 4341 with a computer room that was the size of a warehouse. You mm-hmm. know, with the with the uh, yeah. the. the the things, the lifts to bring the tiles up off the floor, all the cables underneath and the bells okay. and whistles. And that was PL1, which was an interesting language, but COBOL was my first love. And that way we act, we actually had a dumb terminal to enter our code. We didn't have to use key punch anymore. Oh my, be still my heart. So I, I appreciate it. And we, we were just, gobb- as I said, we were just gobbling up technology. It was so exciting. And the year was 1978. I'm not going to admit to that. Let's go to Renee Hauser, rescue me. Renee Hauser, I just can't get over those fabulous glasses. I hope everybody will appreciate them on LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm going to You send me the model number. I'm going to go get those in red next week. I have to have them. <laughs> Renee Hauser, I'm putting you on full speaker views. So everybody can see your gorgeous eyewear. And would you please introduce yourself? Renee, welcome.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Bonnie. And I feel incredibly honored to be with this group of women. And I can see, but you can see by my background, I'm in the business of reading, writing, and thinking. As I'm listening to you all, I'm thinking about the technology that I've embraced in my classroom I was a New York City public school teacher were overhead projectors
0: <laughs> so so it's fine that's quite it was an amazing invention at the time you know you think about and those uh, those uh, the pins that we used that we thought were so cool yes. visa vis-a-vis marker vis-a-vis
3: I actually if I like reached far enough behind the screen the camera that you're like I could probably find some <laughs> but, and then when we, you got to put the printer, like the kind you actually, that was like new for me, you know, the printer. Anyway, so yes, I, my background is I was a public school teacher in New York City, um, and Yay. I still to this day love to read write and think um, I currently am no longer in the classroom as a full-time teacher but I consider myself a teacher um, I think I have the best job in the world I get to support teachers um, being the best versions of themselves and so I think in the midst of a global pandemic most of the world is seeing the incredible work that teachers do um, and so I've thought that all along and basically um, and I love teaching children as well and but I think in general um, I consider myself a lead learner and love to study and think alongside educators. And I think that one of the best parts of my job is to listen to educators and tap into their dreams, literally, which is, um, and think about, well, how can I leverage what's exciting to them so that they can create their own joy of professionally, professional learning. And I'm sure this will come up today, but I think there are some systems that are antiquated that, um, I'm excited about debunking and kind of disrupting and and thinking through how we can um, support our educators and thinking about, you know, um, disrupting the systems that are antiquated and looking forward to the future of supporting teachers in their journey. And so that's what I get to do on a daily basis. I think I, I'm the luckiest person in the world and I, I never really stop learning. And so I lean on um, colleagues like Sharon and like you all to think about my world is literacy and I see literacy in everything. And so it's so been, it's been fascinating a learning journey to see all the thinking and problem solving, by the way, which been, has been in existence for a long time in classrooms. It's just categorized as traditional. And I think um, I'm looking forward to, or I I should say it's been categorized as non-traditional, right? Like problem solving, personalized teaching, all these things that we're talking about has existed for a long time. But I think there's a real opportunity that we can debunk that and make that more the norm. Like, For every classroom across the globe, every child deserves to have a personalized curriculum and to have a teacher who is learning alongside of them. And so whether that means pen to paper or an educational um, system, that's what I enjoy kind of disrupting the system and thinking through that along with educators and caregivers and leaders in the field.
1: Thank you very much, Renee. Very, very interesting. And what I'm finding interesting about this panel, Sharon Jones, is the excitement, the enthusiasm, the smiles. I don't think I've had a panel smile like this. And we have fun topics on the show. So thank you, Renee. And, and the word educators really has broadened. I mentioned in my opening, pandemic. Sharon, educating kids at home, right? Yeah. Who, I My my granddaughters are in college already, so that's not a that's not an issue for me, but I can't even imagine. And a spa that I go to, um, there was a, a man at the desk, the receptionist, and he's the husband of one of the owners of the spa. And I asked recently, where's Joey? I haven't seen him. And they said, he is the homeschooling parent of their two young children. And mm-hmm. I happened to see Joey when I went for my You think this comes naturally? Well, it was expensive. Anyway, so I saw Joey. He was the receptionist last week when I went for a refresh. (laughs) And I said, Joey, where have you been? He said, I'm homeschooling my kids and I'm loving it. (laughs)
0: Wow, that's great.
1: I know. I know. This is a dad. He looks like he's probably in his early 40s. And he said, I am loving it. I'm embracing and I'm happy to be doing it. And I I was just in awe. I I don't know too many people in that age group. It was. So anyway, so welcome back, Joey, to the spot. Let's go to Asia Stevenson. Asia, we're so happy to meet you. You're in the trenches. You're a teacher. You're an educator. You're in North Carolina. I'm in Durham. You're somewhere else. I think to the West of me and let's get to meet you, Asia. We're so excited you're here. I'm putting you on speaker view, talk to the world. Asia, welcome. Um,
4: All right, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Dr. Jones, especially for inviting me here so I could speak about technology and my love for it. Um, So as a young girl, I always knew I was going to be an English teacher um, so, with that being said, I taught English language arts in the middle school setting for five years, which does not seem long. And I'll be honest, it seems I am the youngest person on the panel today oh, yeah. as I'm listening to everyone talk. Um, so, I want to uh, especially just shout out Dr. Jones again. So, in the classroom, she was able to push me to that next level of technology. My students were able to code and use technology in the English curriculum. A lot of people think, oh, my, English and technology, how do they go together? So we were able to create those stop-motion videos. We published a book, which is now on Amazon. Um, we had podcasts. And we just created so much more things with Dr. Jones and her help and her love for technology, which then led to me realizing technology, that's me, That's mm-hmm. this is what I love, and this is what I want to do. So it led to a position change for me in January 2020, which was pre Pre pandemic. Yep. Um, and I became the media coordinator at my middle school then. And a media coordinator is a librarian, but we all know that that position has evolved and changed so much. We are constantly pooling resources with technology um, based emphasis to meet the learning needs of the 21st century learners that we have today. Um, so, with that being said, and with being a media coordinator, I'm able to incorporate technology, literacy, and the curriculum all into one. And, but on a much broader scale as a media coordinator, I'm able to help not just um, as an English teacher, I was focused more so on my English students, but now I'm able to do science, social studies, math, um, even the arts. We have different um, coding classes at our school now. Um, so I was able to definitely just step into that position and just, I'll be honest and I can brag on myself a little bit and just say, I, I thrived. This is what I wanted to do. This is my passion. Did I think I would ever step outside the classroom? I didn't. But here I am. I love technology and I'm just loving it and doing it. Asia, you
1: said something. We're getting feedback on somebody's mic. You said something about three, two and a half minutes ago that was very memorable. You said three little words that just hit me. You said technology is me. Did everybody hear that? And, you you just stopped me. My brain just stopped and said, we just had a quotable moment. Asia Stevenson, we got to get that printed somewhere. You put that on your home screen or put it on your, I know people still have business cards, Sharon. Put it somewhere. Technology is me. Just we technology, something like that. That was, it was a beautiful, st- I want everybody a round of applause for Asia. Come on. That was really, really cool. Asia, take your applause there. Take a bow. Okay. Take a, there she took a bow. Okay. Thank you very much, Sharon. You have. Outdone yourself with this panel. I'm I'm impressed. And everybody's so happy to be here, which makes me happy as the host. This is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a movie, a song, a TV show character, and they're going to relate the quote, which has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. They're going to relate it to the topic in their own words. So we're going to get to hear them think philosophically, prosaically, poetically, however they want to. So let, we're going to stick with the three-minute soundbite rule here. Sharon Jones has sent us a quote from Rafiki, who is the old baboon with mandrill markings. I have to say that, voiced by the great Robert Guillaume. from To Simba, the young lion who grows up to become king of the Pride Lands, voiced by the one and only Matthew Broderick. We all know we're talking about The Lion King, a 1994 American animated musical drama. I'll read the quote in a second. Sharon, I saw The Lion King on Broadway, and it was mesmerizing absolutely incredible. it's incredible on broadway it filled is. the theater with I, I i've seen plays i've seen uh, um, anyway i've seen active plays plays with acrobatics going on the stage and people running around but nothing like the lion king here's the quote oh yes the past can hurt but the way i see it you can either run from it or learn from it sharon take about two and a half three minutes what does this mean for our topic go ahead So I think
0: it's really important to reference, even like what Asia said, she used what her skill set was from the past as being an English teacher to move forward with technology in the future. And that's the piece, and even Renee mentioned this, we can learn from traditional education how we've done things in the past to power the future. It's the frame set. It's the framework of what we do, and we use that to grow from and then move forward. I think sometimes what happens in education is we get stuck in the past or we get stuck in a cycle that we think because it worked in the past, it's going to work again in the future. And that's the piece that I struggle with the most because you mentioned this a little bit too. We all, we really are all from different age buckets and things that happened in our past are what are going to drive us for the future. And so, but if we do not think about how we're going to move education forward with all the new things that are coming around, we're not doing justice to our kids. We can take what we've done in the past, our skill set, and apply to what we're going to do in the future. Thank you very much. Yes, education is an interesting
1: beast, isn't it, Sharon? We want to keep the idea of conveying information, but it has to keep moving ahead. And I love the idea of self-paced learning. I can't remember ever having had anything like that. And, you know, if you got to the head of the honor roll, we had honor rolls when I was in elementary school, and it, you lived or died by your. And I was always third. Anne and Shelley were always ahead of Bonnie. That was just the way it was. It was very hard for me to be third, but I, I was glad to be in that top tier. But then you got to do extra assignments. You got extra credit sometimes. So in in a way, it was trying to assume something like a self pace, but not like we have today. I wish I was back in school in in the, today taking lessons from somebody like Asia and learning from Renee and Anjali and you too, Sharon, would have been very interesting. Anjali, you're up next. You sent us a quote from Lose Yourself, a song by American rapper Eminem, from the soundtrack to the 2002 motion picture eight, the numeral eight mile. Lose Yourself is certified diamond by the Recording Industry Association of America. It has been downloaded only... 10 million times in the US alone. And here are the lyrics that Anjali has selected. Look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? I'm sure I didn't do rap justice to it, Anjali, (laughs) but I've never heard the song and I didn't listen to it. So you can do the rap version if you want. Anjali, you're on speaker view, talk to me.
2: No one wants to hear me rapping or singing or anything (laughs) of that sort at all. Thanks for the opportunity though. I'm not gonna take that shot. (laughs) So, I mean, honestly, this song um, growing up, this song was when it came out has, if you really read through the lyrics, it's actually the loosely uh, written story of Eminem as he was growing up. And 8 Mile is the movie that he actually wrote around also his story, but a lot of it is, it's, so the song, has, and the song has kind of become one of my mantras, um, you know, every single morning, waking up and saying, it's not just about a shot that you have in your life, but you have a shot. You have an opportunity today to make a difference. And so, you know, from a personal perspective with the lyrics of the song, this song kind of hits me at the core where, you know, lose yourself in the music, lose yourself in the moment, you own it, don't let it go. Um, And then at the very last line of the song is, you can do anything you set your mind to. And in reality, when we're talking about education, this is kind of, it to me in my mind is that mantra by which um, we have to look at the future. We do have a moment. We We have the ability today to capture a moment. And it's really about the technology. And What I keep going back to right now, you know, in the moment that we're living in is that if this pandemic had happened just 20 years ago, Mm. we would not be where we're at today. Our economy would not be where it's at today. Our students would not be where they're at today. Our business would not be where it's at today. Um, Simple things like Zoom, um, all these other, you know, technology advancements that have happened just in a short 20 years of period of time, basically taken because people decided to take risk and risk is at the at the core of it what technology has allowed for for Mm -hmm. people to become entrepreneurs to be to, to create to be able to 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 be able to do what it is that we do today if people didn't take that risk and didn't take that shot and didn't take that opportunity we wouldn't be where we're at today and so looking at what we have in front of us all those tools, all those resources, and being able to identify a way that we can take that and integrate it into our education system by ways of, as we'll talk later, the gamification, um, the the self-paced learning, all of these different things that we're able to do by which children are able to pace on their own and really learn based on what they're excited about, we have an opportunity today to make those changes. But we have to as a society, not just as learners, not just as educators, but as parents and as business people to actually be
1: able to come together and really identify what that means and how we move forward. Thank you. And that's the point of the show, the future of now. And I won't give away my closing call to action, but it has to do with that future hasn't happened yet. Just hold that in mind. And we're all here we're going to make a difference. We're going to make a difference. I know it. Thank you very much. Let's move on. Renee Hauser has sent me a quote from Pink, A Million Dreams. Let me give you a little background. A Million Dreams is a song performed by Ziv Zaifman, Hugh Jackman, and Michelle Williams for the film The Greatest Showman in 2017. Second track from the soundtrack of the film The Greatest Showman, original motion picture released that year. However, there is a reimagined version performed by American singer Pink. She's a young kid born in 1979. I get to say she's young. Known professionally in Pink is stylized P. It looks like an exclamation point NK. I didn't know that. She was originally a member of the girl group Choice. I didn't know that either. In a 1995 La Fasse, L-A-F-A-C-E, Laface Records, I don't know how you pronounce that, saw potential in her, and offered her a solo recording contract. Talk about being disruptive. Talk about making your own future, right? She did it. And here are the lyrics Renee has sent. Because every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be. A vision of the one I see. A million dreams is all it's going to take. Oh, a million dreams for the world we're going to make. I've got goosebumps. Renee, rescue me. That was really good. Renee, talk to me. To
3: start, absolutely. To start, I have complete admiration for the performing artist Pink, but also her lyricist and lyrics who actually wrote that and Hugh Jackman who you know put it on the screen for us. So all of that. But I, I have a very distinct memory. I was The first time I heard this song, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I was on the 405, crowded in traffic and almost pulled over when I heard these lyrics because I thought, wait a second, this is incredible. So I also share, Bonnie, I had goosebumps as well too. And I turned it up and, you know, just kind of had that whatever feeling we all do when, you know, just we connect with performing art or just songs. Or, and also remember, I'm in the business of reading, writing, and thinking. And so I, I thought a little bit about, yeah, this is why I love what I get to do. I would say I am absolutely I'm a dreamer. I'm an eternal optimist. And I try to, again, raise up um, all of us really. I want to just basically support all children and all teachers and being the best version of themselves. And so to do that a little bit, it takes a little bit of dreaming. And so there's some interesting things to think about, you know, when we allow ourselves to daydream, we allow ourselves to play. I believe that's where innovation is birthed, right? So I think so much of what we're seeing today in technology is a result of actually being able to play, being able to experiment and daydream. And again, I do think that there are schools in the, all across the globe that that's always been a part of, but they've been kind of in this isolation, like non-traditional. And that's what I think we can disrupt. That's what I think we're on the tipping point of disrupting, of why can't all children have the opportunity to play and innovate? And I believe that when you take a dream, and there's a second part of the lyric there that I intentionally included. I mean, the whole song is good, so do yourself a favor and download it or go play after you listen to this, but the idea of a dream we're going to make, a world we're going to make. And so I think dreaming plus a plan equals innovation. And so you can absolutely dream and you should allow yourself to dream, but without a plan, it remains a dream. And so what's great about all of us on the screen and you listening as as well is that this idea of we can dream, but with a plan when we lean on one another and we've got tools and systems to set us up, we actually can be set up to achieve and perform and innovate. And I think that's what we're seeing as a result of, you know, of, of the movement that we're making. And I believe wholeheartedly, again, that every child deserves this. And so my hope and goal is that, I want to raise up educators to be able to live that dream, right? Not only in bringing joy to their own learning because you never stop learning, but that absolutely reads to the children, right? In classrooms. So setting teachers up to be, to let them know that it's okay to dream. We could create a dream, dream away, we'll create a plan together and then you're on your own to innovate it.
1: Thank you, Renee. I hope that dream for adult lifelong learners too, not just children. Children of of teachers in a learning situation could be any age. The word dream comes up in the quote Asia Stevenson has sent as well. Now, I can't read the whole song because it's a little X-rated from my show, Asia. I looked at the, the lyrics, but it's from the song Too Deep for the Intro by J. Cole. Jermaine Lamar Cole, a.k.a. J. Period Cole, born in 1985, very young German, born American rapper, singer, songwriter, and record producer. Everybody does so much these days. One of the most influential rappers of his generation. He releases mixtapes, The Warm-Up, and Friday Night Lights, and he signed to J. Jay-Z's Roc Nation imprint in 2009. So he's been around for a while. Here's the line I can read from the song she's quoting. If they don't know your dreams... (laughs) Asia it's okay if they don't know your dreams and they can't shoot them down that's the only clean line in the whole song Asia how'd you find this line buried in that wonderful rap song go ahead Asia you're on speaker view
4: (laughs) oh thank you so much um so J. Cole I won't say that I'm his number one fan but I am a fan of J. Cole my car's nickname is Cole Um, and I met J. Cole actually when I was in college. He came and performed at my university, and that's when I actually fell in love with some of the words or lyrics that he sang. He um, had so many dreams for himself when he was a younger child, and you know, just sharing your dreams with someone, some people can just be so negative about what you truly want to do, so as for me, I remember being in elementary school saying, oh, I'm going to be a teacher when I grow up. I want to be a teacher, and so many people were just, so negative. Teachers don't make enough money. Kids are bad. Why would you want to do this? And I'm like, how can you have such negative comments about someone that is aspiring to be a teacher and teach the future of America? So in life, I've used this quote, you just have to have people in your corner that support your dreams and your vision. And also use those negative comments as a stepping stone. And I'll be honest, Dr. Jones, back to you again, I had someone in my corner who supported my love for teaching and technology. So here I am living that dream. She didn't shoot my dream down. She helped me uh, gain that dream. And we really expanded on that. And then you also have to be intentional about who you share your dreams with. That is very Uh important. And I also, um, I believe Renee touched on this as well. As an educator, you can say, oh, I want this in my classroom. I want my students to do this. And something that they've never done, it's your dream. But just use those tools and accomplish that. And I'm pretty sure you can do it. Be innovative. You can do it.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for your passion, your ongoing passion on the topic, Asia. Appreciate that. Ladies, thank you for picking such interesting quotes. I learned a lot. I didn't know most of those lines, so I appreciate it. Now, as a part of the show, I've asked my guests to send me predictions. We're going to get into some hardcore predictions here on education and tech, tech in education, education enhanced by tech, education about tech. It's a blended topic, and I love every aspect of it. And I'll tell you a little bit about an honor I recently received Sharon knows about, I think, later you'll get a kick out of this one. So let's go on. Sharon, I'm putting you up first and your first prediction we're going to talk about, I'll read it because it's brief. The first line is all I'm going to read. Sharon predicts every individual working in education will need to take a basic coding class. Sharon, please unpack this. Go ahead. And if ladies, if anybody has any quick comments about it, just raise your hands and I will call on you after Sharon. Go ahead, Sharon.
0: Yeah, so I say this because part of where we need to go in terms of understanding digital digital learning, what digital uh, impact is going to look like, is to understand the language of the computer. So just like Renee says, when you learn to read, write, and think, or you learn to uh, speak in English or speak in Spanish or whatever your native language is, you're learning the process and the syntax of that language. Technology is and will continue to be a part of how we're going to operate in education and in business and in our personal life. I believe it's imperative that you understand how that Particular piece of infrastructure works. What coding language you choose doesn't matter. The basics of computer science remain the same understanding a variable, a conditional statement, understanding a loop. So mm-hmm. you could start with something like if you really love design and thinking HTML, which is the basic language of learning web design. If you like data, so I'm a big data person, so learn how to use visualbasic.net and create a macro. In Excel. It doesn't have to be this like dramatic jump down the pipeline like we did with COBOL or for me, Mm -hmm. my first language actually was VB.net. But it's changed and grown so much. It's more about understanding the basics of how this computer or how that phone works. And that at the core will help demystify and get people over the perception that technology is hard. Thank you
1: very much. The idea of technology being hard is almost humorous because we live with tech everything we do tech is around us it's buried if, if you have a your friendly helpful alexa on the wall if i say her name she will tell me something i don't want her to interrupt the show yes i get my <laughs> i get my pull down the shades and turn on the lights reminder from her at 645 every night and sometimes on Monday nights I'm ready to start a radio show at seven and I'm on my guests. and she's saying here's your daily reminder I have to say okay stop do you want me to cancel it no just stop we're living with tech it's a re- and, and it may be hard to understand it and Sharon I had to go from mainframe programming to doing WYSIWYG desktop publishing on a little yes. tiny Mac and I looked at my first Mac and I said what is this a toy this thing <laughs> it, it wasn't wireless in those days. I said, "This you you want to demean me? I was coding for the entire state of Oregon for a community college system, for the high schools, the entire secondary school system. Their transcripts were in my hands. That does, and you want me to use this little box and design a title and a layout? Are you kidding me? So it wasn't even hard. It was. It seemed like an insult." that we were going from huge t- to little tech, but there we were. Well, and, you and- know,
0: and and hardcore coders even get upset when we talk about no-code um, applications where it's a lot of drag and drop. There's people that have, you know, spent all these years learning could like, no, 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 it. But to me, the no-code piece is just that level of abstraction we need to get over that hump. You know, we have this these perceptions of ease of use and usefulness. Mm-hmm. And if we can help people see how to create and not just consume, it changes your mindset.
1: It absolutely does. Interesting. Yes, that that idea that I did something that was hard because I knew how to do it and I could help people. And now you want to make it easy for me? Don't insult me. Th- there, is, there is that shift there, that A perception bit, yeah. shift. Let me go on. Let me go to Anjali. I'm prediction number one for you. This is interesting. First line, I'll read only and you can unpack it. The current generation of K through 12 learners, that's kindergarten, if those of you in Europe don't know what the K is for. <laughs> They're passionate about gaming. That's what we want to talk about, gamification of education. Anjali, you're up. Talk to us, please. Yeah. So our students, you know, a lot
2: of times we think our students, our children, are actually spending hours upon hours gaming mm-hmm. right now. Um, especially of the course of the last year with the pandemic and school systems, you know, trying to figure out, as we all are, with that next pivot. Um, so there's a lot of open time, a lot of time with really not knowing what to do with it. In our day, of course, we were outside playing, but, you know, a lot of these kids, you know, <laughs> with being very introverted or even extroverted, but, you know, we're looking at a variety of kids as well from, you know, kids that are on the spectrum and having learning disabilities and all that. But one thing that they, the majority of them have in common is that they love playing games, um, video games. And while we see video games as a, a, a negative because the number of hours that children are on it. In reality, a lot of what kids are starting to learn is a lot of logic, critical thinking, skills, um, just a lot of those kind of uh, skills that actually from a soft skill set, they're actually starting to learn. Um, And so I really think that we're already using gamification especially a lot right now in our federal government, especially if you're looking at our DOD and our personnel that are, you know, our military personnel with a lot of training. Um, It's just innately, I think, in the future, taking what our kids are passionate about and integrating it into our school systems, which some of them are actually already doing by using things like something as simple as, well, it's not necessarily simple, but Oculus, right? To be able to put on a headset and to be able to actually be somewhere else, you know, on top of uh, the pyramids in Egypt and actually Mm. physically seeing it while you're actually staying here. But in much more of a virtual reality or an augmented reality kind of perspective, you're taking education to a completely different level and you're meeting the kids halfway to where they're already at. And I think it's just a matter of time where businesses start to get into that because a lot of the kids aren't coming out with the skill sets. And I'm talking much more about the college and university level. They're not necessarily coming out with the skill sets that businesses need. Mm -hmm. So and we'll talk about this a little bit later again as well. But I think businesses are going to start um, partnering with education and looking at how do we provide uh, the information to the kids based on where they're at now and where they're at right now is based on that passion of gaming. And so it's just inevitable that it's going to go
1: that way. Thank you very much, Anjali, and I had on this show a couple months ago an organization based in New York that has a model for teaching entrepreneurship mm-hmm. to kids in underserved communities in New York, I believe they started. And that model for entrepreneurship, teaching it, of course, with tech and with innovation, that whole mindset of what do businesses need people to do? They need to come in and help to shake them, uh, shake up the, the status quo, maybe the business model in a productive way, not, ah, your company stinks, I'm going to tell you, you should be doing it better, but a way that they can see. A path forward. And that business model for that type of education is now being used around the world. I can't, I know that Ernst & Young is a partner in that organization. And I don't have the name on the tip of my tongue. It was a lot of an acronym with a lot of letters. But thank you very much, Anjali. Let's move on to a prediction from Renee. Renee here's another one I'm very interested in. You say learning simulations with well-designed setup and debrief components, you're gonna to have to translate, are gonna replace antiquated elements of our teaching practice. In classrooms such as biased textbooks. Well, Renee, isn't that a loaded statement? We got about eight things in there for you to unpack. I'm still going to give you the same three minutes as everybody else. Renee Hauser, go ahead.
3: All right. Flag me down here when I should stop talking. About, yeah. What, what do we take on first? I, so I do think that there are antiquated and biased materials that exist for teachers. So like, just to kind of name that one. And, you know, one is that, you know, can publishing companies keep up? I do think we are in a good place in terms of like trade books. We've got incredible, like we are growing into kids holding books they can and want to read. Um, and, and, you know, kids seeing themselves in the stories, uh, you know, and the history that you know is being presented, but not everywhere, right? Like we have got some antiquated materials that I think um, you know innovation perhaps can set all that aside and disrupt that aside. So thinking about one of those tools is, I'm imagining that learning simulations. Uh, is perhaps one of those tools to disrupt the actual um, system. Like Anjali, what you were saying of like how kids are going through their learning experiences. We're shifting away from teaching kids about topics. Um, yes, topics are important, you know, like the Revolutionary War. That is a topic that is important, but more so moving into how are we getting kids to problem solve? How are we getting kids to think? And we're using topics to help them problem solve and develop um. You know ways to negotiate and empathize with one another, um, whereas opposed to when I went to school, I just had to memorize the topic, but I didn't actually learn how to think. Um, and so, what I mean, so that's where I'm I'm thinking about that. But I think that to um, just hand something to educators with the best of intention won't work. So I, I think there's a whole lot of what I meant by like the well-designed um, implementation of that is how are we helping the humans right behind these learning simula- simulations set up students to think and thrive and problem solve in the actual learning simulation. I don't. I think that um, we've kind of um, experienced lots of um, uh, lots of initiatives being handed over to teachers and saying good luck with that. And so I'm thinking, like, how can we work together to make sure, like, some incredible opportunity to disrupt how the materials teachers are using, just how can we support it all so it's it's done really well.
1: Thank you. I remember when disrupt had a totally different meaning. I remember in third grade, the teacher's daughter was visiting from her private school. It must have been, they must have been on a a break or something. And I was in public school and teacher's daughter was sitting next to me and she liked to talk and she liked to talk and she liked to whisper. And she leaned over and said something to me in the middle of a lesson. And I got caught answering her and I got reamed for being disrupting the class. And disruption in this was, Bonnie, why are you talking to her? What are you doing? And beat red, red, redder than the hair in the background here. I I was a a top student and here I was being called out for being disruptive. So I'm glad disruption has taken on on a brand new meaning here. Thank you very much. Asia, I'm looking at your prediction number one. This is interesting. You predict COVID-19, open the doors for the future of technology and education. That's our topic. And you say virtual school will be the norm. Oh my. Asia, take this one please. What are you what are you thinking?
4: Oh, I'm thinking a lot when I think of virtual school being the norm. Um, initially prior to covid, we never thought that we would be in a world where Zoom is the norm. Zoom is in everyone's vocabulary. You say Zoom and everyone knows what that is. Um, And we use technology for everything, honestly. You can order food, you can shop, you can talk to other people, you can actually see your doctor on Zoom and then social media. So then how does that relate back to school? Um, in the middle school, I would say about 90% of our students have a cell phone or some form of technology in their home. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's definitely going to be the norm for them in a few years to be able to be taught online and not have to come physically into a school building um, to actually get their education. Now, the option will still be there. We do have some different um, people with disabilities, or maybe they just learn better in the school setting with other peers. But some of the students thrived in it. As initially, at first, it was such chaos when we first shut down, I'll be honest. Um, uh, a lot of people were struggling with the online platform, they didn't know how to work the computer. It was just so much. But let's um, see, it's been a year now, and our students are thriving, our teachers are thriving, they're getting used to teaching online. And um, for me, when I want to learn something, I go to Google or YouTube and type in what I'm looking for and watch a quick video and I'm able to complete that task. And a lot of times that's what online learning is. Your teacher can teach on, on a video. Um, for a few minutes about a topic, and the student can watch that at a later time and take notes, even if they need a refresher. Mm-hmm. For example, if you're in class, you're not able to rewind, fast forward, and go back or repeat, or some students are just completely shy to ask that question. Mm-hmm. So, having that video of that teacher that taught earlier in the day is very helpful for our students. Um, and as we get adjusted to it, it's just going to be even better. And also prepares them for other things, time management able to collaborate online Um, a lot of times in jobs a lot of jobs have gone online a lot of people working from home um, research online courses a lot of jobs require you to take an online course to become certified in different um, areas as well and the best thing I find for as a teacher for online is real-time feedback that immediate feedback that you can get Um, when you're doing the old school way of grading papers you know it may take a teacher a week or two to give back the um assessment and by then the student has already passed that particular standard or skill and they've forgotten what the answer they put so that real-time feedback is very important as our students learn and master those skills. Thank you very much
1: Asia. Ladies I'm looking at the clock I can't believe we have six minutes left and I need a minute for gratitude and thank you but I want to squeeze in a couple more quick oh Asia let me see those nails I didn't see your nails before put your hands up oh my goodness gracious we got to take oh absolutely gorgeous I don't know how you type with those, but bless you uh- I'm gonna see if we can squeeze in a couple of more really, really quick predictions. Sharon, I know you have a Dr. Sharon Jones, you have a passion for the term high flex. You say high flex will provide flexibility. Why don't you
0: take sixty seconds for this prediction? And I'll see if
1: I can squeeze in two more after this. Sharon, go ahead. I'm just
0: gonna follow on what Asia said. I mean, we are going to change the way education is gonna be delivered. High flex simply means that you'll be able to learn in a flexible manner, either online or in person. And that's not gonna go away. And because one thing she mentioned, it allows us to meet the needs of children in different ways. You could be in person, you can be online, you get instant feedback. It's the ability to actually take learning where it needs to be. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I wonder what that term means. We didn't
1: have that back in the day and glad to know. Let's go to, let's see, Anjali, I'm looking at your prediction number two. It's an extension of some of what we've been talking about, but I'd like you to expand it. You say parents and and students, parents and students will choose learning based on personal needs and goals through customized in-person and or virtual learning tools. Anjali, can you do this in 60 seconds? Go ahead. I will try, I will try. So I
2: honestly believe that um, in this day and age, a lot of students are a part of the conversation. They have to be a part of the conversation. What works for them, what doesn't work for them, right? For some kids, virtual learning works. For some kids, it doesn't. When we moved from DC to North Carolina a couple of years ago, we had the options of private school, public school, charter school, and I think a slew of other schools. Um, so the question becomes that that power is now becoming, and even more so now with technology, um, the power is coming into the hands of the parent and the child to determine, based on their learning disability or learning ability. Let's just call it learning abilities. Mm-hmm. Forget about disabilities. Based on those childs, that child's abilities, what is the best mode of communication and the best mode of learning? Uh, for that particular child. We're also starting to see very briefly um, from a college level, a lot of assessments are going out the door, SAT testing, ACT testing. So how do we assess those children? And so when we're looking at, I think Asia had mentioned it, being able to get assessments right back to that child, that's going to become much more important from an education perspective to really be able to track how are our kids doing? How is this next generation doing when it comes to education? And I think all of that just kind of close from one into
1: the other. Thank did I do good? Yes, you did. Absolutely <laughs> great. Awesome. Renee, Renee, I've got 60 seconds for you to say without a brick and mortar element, virtual learning is at the mercy of a glitchless tech empire. 60 seconds, Renee, what does this mean?
3: I just remember a, a few times this year when I couldn't get my computer to work and then it was all out the door. Um, or when the day that uh, all of LA Unified went on Zoom and I and, and, you know it, it just... I was panicking and sweating, and you know, and couldn't support, couldn't meet the teachers and the kids that I was scheduled to. So I, I do think that um, all of this is incredible. I I do think that there's um, incredible opportunity, uh, and in for innovation to parallel, not to outdo one another. And so just thinking about how we can always think about complementing. Um, you know, a brick and mortar element just to all, to what you're all saying is because I 100% believe in personalized um, learning for all of us. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. And I think that we yeah. can have both to make sure, you know, that we can personalize those dreams that we're going after.
1: As somebody said, for your ability, not your disability. What is your ability? A- Asia Stevenson, you get the last one and it's 60 seconds. Access to internet and technology will no longer be affected by a person's socioeconomic status. This is a big one. This is the hope,
4: this is the dream. Asia, 60 seconds, talk to me. Um, Initially, um, you may think I sound crazy when I say this, but I really think or believe that soon, companies and corporations will just have access to Wi-Fi throughout the various cities. Um, So for example, I live in an apartment and Spectrum may have a Wi-Fi pole in the middle of my apartment complex for everybody to use and it'll just be included in your rent. The price will already be factored into there. You won't have anything to worry about. And then as far as the technology, um, I had an e-machine growing up when I was in elementary school. If you remember um, e-machine computers and how much they cost. And now when you look at a computer, you can get a pretty decent computer for about $100. Bu- $100 and there's so many grants. And different um, programs that are available now for people who cannot afford a computer to get one. So it'll soon be the norm. You need a computer, okay, apply for this grant. Or you have a job, you need a computer, they're just going to give you a computer so you can make money.
1: Thank you very much. There's a lot of hope and opportunity in there. I have to tell you, Sharon knows this. I was selected as the kickoff speaker for the Women in Big Data on International Women's Day because I'm considered an early woman in tech because I was working in the late 1970s on the mainframes doing coding and working in big jobs, and I didn't even know I was an early anything. (laughs) Using a degree in psychology to become a mainframe programmer, well, what can I, and we were called programmer analysts back in the day. Sharon Jones, you have done a spectacular job of getting such interesting and vivacious, I'm allowed to say that word, and passionate People, I didn't even say ladies, people to come or on maybe. the show because this wasn't about women and coding, it was about education. So thank you, Dr. Sharon Jones. Thank you, Anjali DeGay. So nice to meet you. Renee Hauser, I still want those glasses and you were wonderful. You just can't stop smiling, lady. I love it. <laughs> and Asia Stevenson, I hope you had a good time joining us. I appreciate it. You did wonderfully. That's just between you and me. Thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer. Everybody clap for Aaron. Yay, Aaron, he Yay, got us on the thank air. Thank you, Aaron. LinkedIn, we were great. We were streaming live on LinkedIn. We did it. Yes, Restream worked at Facebook. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for tuning in for Technology Revolution, the future of now I get all choked up. And here's my call to action. If somebody tells you the future is already here, I want you to put your hands on your hips or put your hands on your desk or shake a finger at them and say, no, you're wrong. That was yesterday's future. Today's future is about to happen and we're all going to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Be safe, be smart, be savvy. And if you still need to wear your damn mask, (laughs) bye-bye.